in uh, a new series we started last week, and it's called The Sun Awakening to the Glory of Jesus. And and really, this is to focus on his life. And you may be thinking, like, yeah, I, I, I do. I'm a Christian. Like, of course, my life now is, is, is Christ-centered. But I want to tell you that we really need to spend the time on there. And, and I have found myself other times relying on other things, other things other than just beholding the glory of Jesus to transform my life. And everything else has fallen short. We're going to focus on his, his life, on his mission, on his purpose. And as we do, I want to tell you there's going to be one undeniable truth that's going to ring out about, above all the other things about Jesus. And that is that the Son is glorious. He is matchless in truth. He is unparalleled in power. He is unrivaled in beauty. And he is incomparable in purity. And we are going to take a few weeks just to behold. And like I told the first service, you know, we can kind of speed read the Bible sometimes. But I want to tell you, you cannot speed behold the glory of Jesus. It's something that just takes time. So that's why we're going to spend a few weeks and just point our lives, point our Sunday mornings, even in a more intentional way, even in a deeper way to the glory of Jesus Christ. So when we talk about this beholding the sun, we're, we're, we're talking about this. And if we could put the definition up here to give you an idea of the goal here. But to behold is to gaze at, to think upon. So it's not just to look at something, but it's actually to look into something. It's to think upon, it's to observe, uh, consider, witness, to, to weigh out, to regard, to contemplate, and, and to study Really, to, to chew it over, and it also means to distinguish something or someone as different from everything else. And this is where we're at today because Jesus is different. He is, he is unique. He is a very beloved son of God. And he's different. When we behold, I'll tell you what, we will find that we are able to distinguish that in him is glory because he is unique to every other uh, thing that exists. We're going to awaken to his glory. And you may be thinking like, hey, well, I awakened to glory. I awakened to glory, to Jesus' glory. And it say, you know, he saved me. It, it, I entered into a salvation experience. And my life was never the same. Your pro life was probably never the same. But, I, but it's true that we are once awakened to the glory of, of Jesus. But it's also true that it is a lifestyle. It is something that we continually do, that the revelation of Jesus Right, isn't just a one-time thing, but it is a forever thing. It is a lifelong, it is lifelong pursuit. And I can guarantee you, I don't know anybody that has pointed their life towards the glory of Jesus and, and beheld it and considered it that over time has come away being less impressed with Jesus. I, I, I don't even think it's possible, really. Everybody uh, that I know that over time, if they've truly beheld him, Right, not just kind of gloss through some certain things or had some information up in their head, some facts or some theory or data about Jesus, but those that actually behold him. It's a, a process. It changed over time, and they become more and more impressed. In fact, you can say that the more we focus on Jesus, the more that we behold him, the more that we see him as he truly is. 
I don't even know if, if God would have revealed his son to me in all of his glory. I don't even know if I could have handled it back in 27 years ago. It was awesome. Just the little bit that I had was enough considering the, the, the dark and painful place that I was in in life. So John, we're going to be in John this morning, continuing in uh, chapter 1. Let's start off by reading verses 6 uh, through 9. And it says this, that God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And if you have those scripture verses, you got a paper Bible, I want you to, to circle those words. Everyone occurs two times. To tell everyone that everyone might believe and that this light that Jesus would bring was one for, for everyone. You see, God had been speaking to John the Baptist. He had been revealing the things about Jesus, the glory of Jesus. And, and the more God told John the baptizer about him, what to look for, who it, who it would be, I want to tell you that John the Baptist was transformed. And as he was transformed, he wanted to help other people believe. And those people helped other people believe. And those people helped other people believe. And those people, by their witness, helped other people believe. And then on and on and on through the decades and the centuries. And then somebody helped you and me to believe. And it's, this is our thing. We are just in, in a long line of witnesses to Jesus Christ. The, 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 the plan is, is that we would gaze upon him, we would behold him. And in that we would be transformed. And in that transformation, we would radiate the glory of Jesus and in there give witness to it in, in our lives, this, radi uh, yeah, this radiant life that we live. And it, it would transform the world around us and it would help people believe. We aren't the light, but we're simply a witness to tell about the light. And John was the, the first to give the testimony about Jesus, and that's why he gets some special attention. He gets some props in Scripture, if, if we read it, right, that he's he's special guy, and he deserves it. He wasn't the only one, but he was the, the very, very first one. And we have believed, and it started back with John's ministry. Isn't that awesome to see how it's continued? We're not disconnected from the facts and the, the accounts that we read about in God's Word. Some saw John's message as one of judgment, right? It was said, like, come and repent, and he would baptize them in the Jordan River. But I want to tell you that it wasn't the voice of, of God's judgment. It was the voice of God's grace that John expressed. Because the voice of God's grace always points to Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is the very living expression of uh, God's grace on the earth. John 1.10 I'm going to prepare you guys. We're going to read a couple of very sad, uh, sad verses, sobering verses. And it says this, uh, he came into the very world he created. Remember we studied that last week, that all things were created through him, that, that Jesus isn't part of creation. He is part of creator. It says he came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people 
and even they rejected him. I want to tell you, I, I know there's a verse where Jesus wept. That's kind of a sad verse. I want to tell you, this is the sad verse right here, that even those that should have known and should have recognized the glory of Jesus Christ missed it. And I want to tell you, it's not because Jesus Christ came in a, in a hidden way. The glory of God was absolutely on full display in his life for all the world to see. When he went in, he was... Uh, he, he taught as no one else had ever taught. You guys remember reading that in Scripture? He was able to, to heal people. He could cure the incurable, the lepers, the blind. He could even raise the dead. The waves and the winds obeyed his, his voice, his, his commands. On all of these things, who could do these things? Only God could do what Jesus did. And thus, in that, the full display of the glory of God was made through Jesus' life. It was apparent. It was out there for everybody to see. And in John 12, 37, this isn't just my opinion, right? John 12, 37 says, But despite all the miraculous signs Jesus had done, most of the people still did not believe in him. And in that group of people is even the people that should have recognized him the most, the easiest thing. Yeah, no, they should have. Yeah, these are the people that if anybody would have got it, they're looking for the glory. And it's on full display right in front of them time and time again. John wrote, hey, if all of the miracles of Jesus, if all the stories, I just wrote down a few in my gospel in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they wrote down some too, but, but if all, we tried to catalog everything that Jesus did, the full amount of his glory, there, would be, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to contain that proof, that glory on full display. Yet somehow, they missed it. And what does this teach us? And I want to tell you the thing that I drew out of this is that even the best believer has blind spots. Even the most fervent follower has sin. And, and God's design is this, that we confess our sins because it leaves, sin leaves us blind to the glory of Jesus. And we're going to look at this beautiful thing called uh, confession. And, and let me, before we start, let's get a point of doctrine right out of the way that we're not going to get any more saved uh, than we already are. So uh, we might kind of think that we can do that, but we aren't going to be any more saved than we are right now. So take those lenses off and let's look at God's plan and purpose for confession. It's, it's beautiful. It's, 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 it's a point of, of grace. It says this in, in John, uh, John the Beloved, his uh, epistle, the first one, it says this, it, uh, one nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And one of the core values that we have at New Song, you saw it in, in Sergei's testimony, is that we would live openly and honestly before God and openly and honestly before each other. And that's what confession looks like. It's just honestly, it's not hiding away. It's not, it's... This scripture is meant 
to give us great confidence. We all pull back, and maybe we don't go to God uh, in, in these moments so that grace can, can complete the work. But we don't have to. We all have our own personal reasons. I get it. Like in, They're there, but we don't need that. This verse is to create confidence in there that we can bear our hearts before God and survive it, and not only survive it, but that we are blessed and we walk further into our God destiny and the purposes that he gave us on this life when we enter into these things. The parable of the prodigal son, I want to tell you that there was two things that happened simultaneously at the very beginning of this parable. I'm not, uh, parable. I'm not going to uh, read through the whole thing. But basically it was he came to his right mind and he confessed. Here he confessed and he came to his right mind. These things happened simultaneously. It was a moment in this confession where he just opened his heart and he laid himself bare before God. And the other thing that this parable teaches is that if we ever turn to God the Father in repentance, we can be assured that grace is already waiting there. In fact, he's waiting for our confession. We see that grace is, is eagerly anticipating it. Grace is, uh, is on the lookout Right for our confession, and and doesn't only want to just see it, but 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 grace wants to come and uh, come to our confession. He wants to celebrate our confession. Grace has been waiting eagerly to pour it out on our lives, but we have to first be open and honest, and the, the glory of. The sun is in in full display, and when we are open and honest before God, if we engage in, in, if we put spiritual pride to the side, that was why so many of the the Pharisees and religious teachers and other people, they they missed it. It It was spiritual pride. They would say, I am without sin. And John says, if you say you're without sin, you're calling God a liar. So as we read through uh, John 1, uh, verses 10 and 11, and and I have done this, and you know what? It took me, uh, let's see, I was 35 when I was saved, so it took me 35 years to awaken to the glory of Jesus, but when I did, I was really woke. I was was, uh, wide awake, never was I the same, and I looked at this, and I had almost closed my journal as I was taking taken notes, and I felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit and said, yes, Jeff, you, you received Jesus. You acknowledged him when he came into your life. But I want to tell you, it wasn't just a one-time thing. Jesus still wants to come into our, our lives in the moment, in our circumstances. He wants to arrive. He wants to manifest. He wants to, to show up even in our greatest difficulties. And it's an ongoing thing as, as it happens. So I decided, okay, I'll open up my journal. I'll stay in that space. And I want to give you a kind of a snapshot into my journal. Because, and I hope that you can identify one or two of these things. I'm just going to be, just going to lay it out here and, and say, but here's what the Spirit revealed to me as I was just being open and honest, is that Jesus comes to me with promises that I don't trust. Jesus comes to me with life. Abundant life that I 
don't live. He comes to me with light that I shade. He comes to me with authority that I give away. He comes to me with identity and inheritance that I won't embrace. And Jesus comes to me with unfailing love, yet I am blinded to the glory sometimes because I, I, I view his love through my experiences of all of the earthly loves, the failing earthly loves that I've known in this world. And I want to fully receive Jesus in all of the ways that he is coming in my day-to-day lives. All right, so I'm not trying to say you probably, you're not saved or you've you got to get more saved. What I'm saying is there's, there's something more here that Jesus is always coming to us. Now, let me just go. If he comes as Savior, we need to trust our souls to him. If he comes as Lord, that we need to give our uh, allegiance to his leadership, that if he, Jesus comes, one of his names is Counselor. We can live by his guidance. And if Jesus comes as provider, we trust in his provision. Not Visa. Not MasterCard. We can trust in his provision so that if we get something from the store and it's not rung up, that we can be truthful and we can return it. Because we know we live in Jesus' abundance. We can do the right thing. We don't have to twist or, or talk about a business deal and weight it in our favor because we know we're going to be taken care of. In Jesus, there is no lack. All right, so I want the same for you. I want you all just to be uh, looking for the ways that Jesus is coming and, and, and being way and living in openly and honestly. John 1.12, I want to tell you, so we had the, the depressing verse, the sad verse, 111. Now we're going to come into probably the most glorious verse in all of Scripture. You guys ready for this? But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. I think that's pretty good news. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. But to all who believed and accepted, he gave the right to become children of God. And I want to tell you this, that we have a right to it. That not even the world's hatred of God, not even the world's rejection of Jesus can overrule or frustrate the plans that God has for your life. He gave the right to become children of God. And this is the cool part. You may have been looking at the, the slide that we have up for the, the sermon title, Taking Hold of the Name. And you may, may have been thinking, like, well, where, where does that come from? I haven't really kind of read that one exactly in Scripture. Well, if we go a little bit deeper, if we were in the, the Aramaic and the Greek, we would see that to accept the Son really means this, to literally to take hold hold of his name, to take hold of his name. In fact, I think we're just going to go straight to teaching in Aramaic and Greek. If you all could study up, we'll all study up for next week, and we'll just throw away all the translations. We'll go straight to the original text. But we have to take a look at it. It's good to have a Bible study, circle something that you don't know, and drill down a little bit and get out 
our Strong's Concordance, right, to behold some of the truths of Scripture and let them speak to us for a bit, right? You can speed read, but you can't speed meditate. So how do we take hold of the name of Jesus? And this is it, to believe all that Jesus' name represents. As you can see on the slide, you guys have probably seen lists of the names of Jesus. If you haven't, I encourage you to go into, uh, there's on the internet, you can Google it. And there's a lot of people that have cataloged all the names of Jesus. And some of them are kind of woven up in there. And that's your homework if you're okay with it. Is I would go through that list and just think, what ways are, is, is Jesus coming to me? And purpose to recognize it. He comes as Savior that we trust our, our souls. So this is the first thing. To believe all that Jesus' name represents. And it's a big, big list. I want to tell you that he is glorious. And the more you look at that list, I want to tell you the more that you, we, are, we are transformed. And the second thing is just as important is to put into practice what Jesus taught. One day we will all give account, and it's not going to be if we said the sinner's prayer. I believe the account that we give at the end of it is, is you know, what is, how did you respond to the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life? The only faith that matters is, is faith that works its way out into our lives, the one that transforms us, that's the type of faith that matters. So we put it into practice, and sometimes we put it into practice. I want to tell you, there's, I believe that there's two qualities to putting it into practice that we need to engage in. And the first is that we put into practice what Jesus taught through the power of his name, that we don't try to do it on our own strength or by our own intellect or our own ingenuity, but that purely that we do it through the, the power of Jesus' name. And the second, we put into practice what Jesus taught with joyful thanksgiving. So it's not a, a thing. If there's a reluctance in it, I want to tell you to, to lose that re reluctance. How do I do that? Enter into thanksgiving. Practice thanksgiving. Get around people that are, that are, are grateful people. Practice thanksgiving. And, and be joyful in it, a willing act that I'm, I'm doing, not reluctantly. And certainly uh, save the effort if you're trying to do it to try to get on Jesus' good side. Or try to add something to your salvation. You put into practice what Jesus taught. Because people are going to believe because of our witness. We don't do it to get more saved. We do it because people, we're going to help people believe by the glory of Jesus radiating through our lives. Okay, so we take hold of the name of Jesus. The awesome thing that Scripture, John, tells us is that we become children of God. Or in other words, we become our true selves. I remember when I first got saved, I'm going to ask you guys a question. When you guys first got saved, did you have any friends or relatives that tried to talk you out of being saved? Let me see. Raise your hand. Be honest. Did you have friends that just thought, I want to tell you, my, my, my buddies, bless their heart, they were just like, ah, oh, 
This isn't who Watson really is. This isn't going to last. It's not going to take. He's just, this is, it's a pretending thing. It's a crutch thing. And I want to tell you that when I gave my life to Jesus, I became who I had always been. Like we studied uh, uh, last week that all things that, that, that Jesus was involved in the very idea of me and you from the very, very beginning. That we were created through him for him. So when we become alive and we and we go through this thing where we receive, we believe and accept Jesus and we take hold of our, his name. We become what we have always been. John 1.14 says this. So continuing. So the word became human, or your translations might have flesh, and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and Faithfulness. That's good news. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. I want to tell you, John the Beloved that, that wrote this gospel, I want, to, I want to tell you that he was a man that had been transformed. He beheld the Lord, and it transformed his life. It says that he became human, or the word that we have is God incarnate. And we know where the word incarnate comes from. Who here likes chili? Come on, we got the third most popular day here at New Song is the chili cook-off. Karen Clark, are you here? I'm watching you this year. I got my eye on you. We're going back and forth. There's more trash talk that happens in the church. We almost bless it. Like for the couple of weeks, it'll be like the first Sunday in, in December. But anyway, if you like chili con carne, what does that mean? Chili with meat. If you like carne asada, what does that mean? Meat that is grilled. So here we see that Jesus is God with meat. God is it, it is God in the flesh. And God made his home. In fact, the, the idea here is not that he really built a home, but it says that he tabernacled with us. He, he pitched a tent, just like he, he asked of the, the Israelites in the wilderness to build a tent that he would come and not just pass by, not just visit, but that he would dwell in there. And in it, he's talking about a quality of God's love that is this, that it is a dwelling love, that God wasn't far off. It's his dwelling love. And it says that we have beheld his glory. And the, the cool part about it, and this is where we pull it out of the original language, it says this, we have gazed upon his preciousness. That is to behold Jesus Christ, to behold the glory. We have gazed upon his preciousness. The one, the unique and the beloved son. And John, let's continue. John 1, 16 through 18. And it says this, From his abundance we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart, and he has revealed God to us. 
So it's the unique and beloved son. And, and there's two parts of this scripture verses I just read, 16 through 18, that we really need to focus on. It really speaks to a couple of things when he talks about the unique and beloved son. And the first is this, is that Jesus' gifts are unique to him because he is unique, because he is abundant. I want to tell you that his gifts are unique. The blessings are unique, and they also uniquely filling, uh, are uniquely fulfilling. I can go to dollar store. Go up. Have you guys done this? Go up and down the aisles. There's stuff there you didn't know you needed. <laughs> right? Get a tube of glitter. <laughs> Under a dollar. Ah, ripped them off like one one penny. Right? Or uh, a bag of uh, freeze-dried potatoes, mashed potatoes, or like a little sleep mask. I didn't know I needed one. But I want to tell you, these things might be blessings to me, but they are in no way unique. These are quite ordinary types of things. But the gifts that Jesus gives are anything but ordinary. They are unique. And because of his uniqueness, the gifts are unique, and they fill us in a unique way. His gifts are unique. I want to tell you, sometimes when we hit hard times or whatnot, we can see that the blessings of God or the, the blessings of the world can dry up. But I want to tell you, it's not so with the blessings and the gifts. This is the word, the gifts that Jesus has. Jesus' blessings are glorious and unique, and they are limited by our trials or our hard times. Sickness cannot block them. Rejection or poverty cannot cut them off from our lives. And there's a song that, that came to mind when I was studying is, can't nobody do me like Jesus, right? Can't, really? All right, let's sing it. I don't know if I can do that. Can't nobody do me like the Lord, right? Can't nobody do me like Jesus because he is my friend. So this is, speaks to the uniqueness. So this is one of the two things I wanted to point out in there is in his uniqueness that the blessings of Jesus are unique and they fill us uniquely to everything else that the world can possibly offer us. And the second is that the unique one brings us uniquely close to God. If you want to be near to the Father's heart, be near to Jesus, right? It says here, that no one has ever said, but the unique one who himself is God is near to the Father's heart. If you want to feel the Father's heart, I want to tell you, just get next to Jesus and looking at him. This is where it is, and it takes this place that, I, that quite honestly, the other teachers or philosophers or prophets that the world has known and give themselves to, they all fall short. They cannot take us to the Father. So take hold of his name. And we're going to go ahead and, and worship a bit. And, and in this series, uh, we are going to, like I said, we, you know, you can speed read, but you can't speed meditate. You can, you can take a glance, but you really can't gaze without spending some time. So uh, during this series, I hope you'll, you'll welcome this time so that we just don't get some information and just and, and rush out that we would just keep beholding Jesus. I hope you felt that in the, the first part of our worship as we sang the songs and we beheld him. It's, it's transforming us. And this is, this is it, that we can come and that we can be 
behold his glory, that we would be transformed in that. And in that transformation, we would radiate the glory that Jesus, the, the glory of God that was given to Jesus, that Jesus gives and expresses through our lives as we behold him. I'm going to have our ministry team, uh, ministry teams come up if you could. And uh, ministry teams, it, this morning, if you can kind of go off to the sides uh, here. Maybe in talking this morning, you, you've realized there's been a, a place where, where Jesus has been coming to you and maybe you've accepted him in so many ways, but there's a circumstance or a situation that he's, he's, he's got provision in. And you, but we just, you just haven't embraced it. I'll tell you this morning is the morning to do that. There's a relationship that's broken. I don't want to tell you, it, it may seem impossible to be repaired, but what I want to tell you is that, that Jesus came and Jesus died so the two could become one, so that every dividing wall of hostility could be broken down between brothers and sisters.